The lineup is complete for the NITO ATP Finals singles and doubles events. Welcome to the ATP Podcast with me, Chris Bowers. And this week we'll hear from the three players who completed the lineup for the year ending singles event. We meet a doubles team who just missed out on automatic qualification to Turin, but they'll be there as a reserve pair. And we'll get to know more about a player who's been on the up and up all season. But first, to the Rolex Paris Masters. And although he hadn't set foot on court since the Davis Cup in mid September, Novak Djokovic got straight back in the groove to claim a record 40th Masters 1000 title, beating Grigor Dimitrov in the final. So, by the looks of it, the few weeks off had done him some good. Look, you know, I've played tennis, uh, professional tennis, over 20 years now, and, um, you know, I'm so grateful that tennis has allowed me to build an incredible platform that I've used, you know, for for various things and, you know, meeting incredible athletes from different sports and people from different industries, entertainment, made, you know, some friendships that uh, are lasting for, for a long time because I've journeyed with tennis and the tennis tour. Uh, so I'm internally grateful to, to this sport for allowing me to, to live the life that I live. And I try to make the most out of the weeks that I'm not playing, obviously, on the tour, of course, primarily to spend time with my family, the closest ones, um, and, you know, rest my body. Uh, I <laughs> think I rested much, to be honest. There was a lot of different things that I've done, uh, but it was, it was definitely fun. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge basketball fan, so I follow the home, home teams in, from Belgrade, you know, Red Star and, and Partizan in the EuroLeague and NBA and so forth and football. You know, I try to, I try to you know, keep things uh, light, young and engaging and fun. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great, but, you know, I also missed playing tennis and competing. Light, young and engaging. He certainly seems to have discovered some sort of secret of eternal youth. Djokovic spoke there about competing, and there's none more passionate about the game of tennis than his opponent in the final, Grigor Dimitrov. And while the Bulgarian was obviously disappointed to have missed out on the title, he was still delighted to have participated in his first Masters 1000 final for over six years, and more than happy to play a game of build your perfect player with ATP Uncovered. Good God, that's a tough pick. Edward or Raftra. You're going to build your player. Build my player? Yeah. Ready? Why are you making me think of players now, man? You know, it's fun. No, it's not at all. <laughs> See them every day. I'll go with Rogers for him. He never missed it when he had to miss it against me, so I don't know. I feel like a lot of players have missed a lot of shots, but not him against me. So back end, to build my perfect player. On the back end, I would go Kei Shikori. I love Case back and he can literally do anything from that wing. He can do back and cross, lob, line, pass through the middle, curve it, get to it, anything. I like his back a lot. Picking up surf, I'll go for Nick Curious. I think his accuracy of his serve and the ability to generate any type of surf from anywhere, pretty spectacular. Return. Novak, definitely Novak. I mean, Novak Djokovic, I think his, his returns are absolutely outstanding and he's always been able to put the ball in the court no matter how fast the ball comes. 
slice? Me. Definitely me. I pick myself on the slice. That shot rattles a lot of a lot of players, and um, it's also I think I think one of my first shots that I've ever learned how to do. So I really love playing it. Net game. I would probably go for the for the net game. I'll pick uh, probably Edberg, uh, Rafter. Good God, that's a tough pick. Edberg or Rafter? I, I'm, I'm a bit hesitant. I think both of them are incredible volleyers. Even I think Pat Rafter's been incredible. How he's been able to always go down down low on a lot of shots and have that. That uh, forehand volley on the go is amazing, and also the way that Edberg moves around the net as well has been spectacular to watch. Speed around the court. Speed. There's a lot of fast players on tour to pick up speed, and someone that can do it consistently. Davidenko. I think Davidenko was one of the fastest guys and the quickest one on tour, so I don't know, I can pick him actually, yeah. Davidenko. Fantastic stuff from the Russian. Alright, last few of these. Let's do mental toughness. Pick any of the top three, you, you never go wrong. I don't know, Rafa probably. I think I think always Rafa has been. Yeah, the, I think mental toughness will pick Rafa for variable reasons and he's been also always able to show us in the most difficult times, whether it's a breakdown, set down, whatever it is, to, to come back from, from the impossible nearly. Competitiveness. Competitive. Leighton Hewitt. Leighton, yeah, the way he was competing and rattling rattling players up, I think it was pretty impressive. So I'll go definitely with him on that uh, on that end. Was, his competitive nature is uh, yeah, pretty amazing. Celebration. I know, Eugene. <laughs> Why him? He was always the soldier guy to that type of India and like, showing salute and everything. So it was, I don't know, I always enjoyed that as well. So celebration, I'll go him. But there's many players I think that do have an amazing way to deal with it, but I think he was pretty cool. Thank you, Thanks, Grigor. guys. Some great choices from Grigor Dimitrov. He's picked a much bigger selection of players than many of the people we've heard from in this perfect player feature. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. While the Djokovic-Dimitrov final was the denouement to the week, the earlier rounds were all about those all-important final automatic qualification places for the NITO ATP finals in Turin. And with Andre Rublev having secured his place alongside Novak Djokovic, Carlos Alcaraz, Daniel Medvedev and Yannick Zinner, heading into Paris there were three places up for grabs. The first to confirm his spot was the Greek Stefanos Tsitsipas, who I caught up with earlier in the week, a few days on from winning the doubles title in Antwerp. That was his first tour-level title partnering his brother Petros in what was clearly a very big event for the whole Tsitsipas family. Very emotional, both of us. And the fact that our, we're, both of our parents were there made it extremely special. And our doubles coach, Paula Badosa, also was able to uh, live this with us. Uh, not many people know about this, but uh, she actually uh, started coaching us in, at the US Open 
uh, this year for the very first time when she stepped in and uh, spent two, three hours with us. Uh, so that was a very fun um, to get a, a different player perspective on, on the court, and uh, we consider her our, our doubles coach. <laughs> That's a good name. Uh, and then you had the great week in Vienna afterwards. Didn't win the tournament, but got to the weekend. Do you feel that you got a bit of a bounce from the doubles? I did get a good kick out of the doubles and it transcended into my singles. Absolutely. Uh, you know, wins and victories like this give you so much confidence and so much faith and belief in, in how good you can play and how good you can uh, feel on court when you play good and you aim and strive to play good. So these are these type of experiences and these type of titles uh, elevate you and they, they bring you really to, the, to, to your highest point. Uh, going deep in Vienna, well, it was the first time that I did semis in Vienna. Uh, it was it was a great feeling. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go all the way at it and win uh, the whole thing. But I take uh, good things out of it, and uh, for me, it's it's important that I'm able to to stabilize myself and and uh, be able to consistently go on deep runs in tournaments. Uh, I might not win all of them, but for me, it's important to just be able to repeat uh, repetitively. Um, do semi-finals or even win on a on a consistent basis. So I'm keeping in a positive outlook on all of this, and uh, I'm hoping to to continue this uh, kind of streak. At the time we're recording this, we don't know whether you'll qualify for Turin, but you have obviously very good memories of the tournament from having won it in London. How do you feel about the ATP Finals? What stands out for you about it? Well, it's a whole celebration. The ATP Finals is uh, a commemoration and celebration to uh, the best of the best in in, the, in our sport. Uh, we all gather together and we get to um, play against each other and focus on the fact that we are the best in the world trying to fight for this mega trophy, which is uh, a grand prize in our sport. Uh, it means a lot. The fact that I'm able to qualify every single year uh, makes it... Uh, uh, an important moment uh, to um, to bring all my family, all my close friends and, and people to, to be there with me and to get a sensation of how it feels to participate in, in this uh, and be part of something big like this. Um, I would I would consider it probably a bigger bigger thing than a slam. Honestly, it has big prestige and uh, and a very it's it's a very valuable asset if you're able to conquer and win it. Yes, a very valid point there from Tsitsipas. Just to qualify once as one of the top eight in a year is a phenomenal achievement. So to do it several times speaks for a very high level of sustained quality of tennis. With Tsitsipas having locked his place in, that meant six of the eight places were claimed. Next in line was the twice-former ATP Finals champion, Germany's Alexander Zverev. And by Thursday evening, he was on his way to Turin. He too is aware of what qualifying for the elite event means. It's just the prestige kind of to, to be there. You're one of the best eight players in the world. Uh, so automatically you feel honored in a way to be at that event. And, uh, you know, the, the special thing about that term, I think, you know, during normal weeks, you kind of have time to get into the matches. Maybe you kind of have time to maybe find your rhythm, find your find your game. There you don't. You, you play one of the best eight players in the world straight on from, from the first match that you go there to. And uh, that, that is the special part about it in a way. Um, I think that's why you know all the players are looking forward and fighting so hard to be there. And yet the two times you won it, mm-hmm. you lost to the guy you ended up beating in the yeah. final. Did that almost change the mindset? 
that that's the very special thing about uh, Turin in a way. Even if you have one bad day, you're still in the tournament. Um, yeah, I, I lost both times that I won the tournament. I lost uh, the second group match to Novak once and to Daniel once. Um, but then, you know, you kind of have to have a short-term memory in a way and kind of get back to, to the match court immediately and uh, try to win. The other thing about the group stage is that you have situations where sometimes you have to win a match in straight sets to qualify. Does that change the nature? I never had that situation yet. Um, I mean, the easiest way is to just win all three matches <laughs> and then, then you're, you're safely through. Or if you win two matches, your chances are also very, very high. Um, but yeah, I think I think there's so many scenarios. I think there's so many different ways to to just describe the tournament in general. Um, and obviously, yeah, sometimes you only have to win one match to to qualify for for the semifinals. Sometimes winning two matches is not even enough. So uh, there's always you know different different things, different different ways to do it. What's the big difference between London and Turin? Because you've won in both. Big difference. Um, I think the stadium itself, obviously the Yo2 is spectacular, right? I think it's one of the biggest indoor stadiums there is in the world. I think it's one of the most spectacular ones for sure. Even just the boat trip there is spectacular itself. Um, but in Turin, I would say the atmosphere is amazing. I think the Italian fans are, are very loud. They're incredibly passionate with sports generally. And um, I think that's it kind of gives something extra to it in a way, but both events are obviously amazing. It's the World Tour Finals. There's nothing, nothing like it. And why do you think you've done so well? Is it time of year? Is it indoors? Is it group format or what? I think having a second chance is always something that that is nice because you know in the other terms, if I would have lost to Novak or Daniel, I would have been out. You know, and there I came back and became a two-time champion. Um, so that that's maybe one thing, but. I think generally just the this the other thing is also just as I said just enjoying the moment just enjoying being one of the best eight players in the world and being able to compete with them is, is something that I really enjoy doing and I think it's as I said it's a prestige event it's just an honor itself to be there and I never kind of take it for granted. And we take our hat off to Zverev, given that he missed the whole of the second half of the 2022 season with a horrible ankle injury so effectively he had to start this year with no form to speak of. With Taylor Fritz having withdrawn through injury from the Paris Masters after just one win, that left the final place in Turin between Holger Rune and Hubert Hurkacz. The pole was in great form, having just won the 500-level title in Basel, but Rune's run to the Paris quarterfinals, where he took Djokovic to a marathon three-setter, settled the eighth place in the Danes' favour. An alternate last year, Rune can put his qualification down to a great first half of the season, as it was followed by an elongated period of indifferent form. So, I asked him in Paris this past week why his great run went slightly off the rails. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it was quite obvious. I had a lot of uh, difficulties in my team. Um, and I think, you know, it's more like peace and quietness there is around a tennis player or an athlete, as better they can perform. And as less there are, as more tough it is to keep the focus. Um, so it was, it was definitely tough for me to, to be the best version of myself. Um, and that's not good for, for any athlete. You've brought Boris Becker in as your coach. In the short time you've had to work together, what has he brought to your game? It's been great working so far with with Boris. Um, you know, what uh, we're working on uh, is what you see on the court. Um, so I hope you can see some some different things. And uh, yeah, it's just going to keep building. 
I mean, you got to the semi-finals in Basel, which was the first one that you worked openly with Boris. I know you've been in contact with him before then. Yeah. Was there anything that you were trying there in particular that you felt worked? Yeah, I mean, there was, of course, a few adjustments that we made uh, to be able to, to come back on track a little bit more. Um, and I think that I was willing to do those small changes. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I played uh, I played some better tennis and I was fighting very well and, you know, obviously didn't find my best level still, but definitely building building up more. The year-end finals are indoor on hard court. You had your big breakthrough at Roland Garros last year, outdoors on clay. What do you think of as your best surface at the moment? It's tough to say. Um, now I played great on clay, I played great on grass, great on hard courts. So, you know, my biggest title is here on hard courts. So, so I mean, it's, it's tough to say. I, I like to play on all surfaces, to be honest. I don't have one that I say, OK, this one I prefer. It's really in the moment. Like, now it's nice to play indoors with the low bounce. It's a bit quick. Uh, when, then when you are at the end of the hard season, like in Miami, you're, like, super excited to go on clay because you miss the grind and stuff like this and the drop shot and everything. So it's like uh, it changes a little bit so I, I wouldn't say I have one also grasses I really like it now so what did you get out of being the alternate at last year's ATP finals uh, definitely a lot of eager to be able to be there this year um, it uh, obviously last year it would have been great to make it but I didn't expect to make it at all because before the last three tournaments I was like I don't know not even near so you know it was a big push that I made and then all of a sudden it was then possible to make it with you, Sinner and Alcaraz in the top ten, does it sometimes feel like you're still in the juniors, only on bigger stages? Yeah. I mean, no, actually not, because then you still have Novak, you still have these guys, and uh, they've been around for a long time, so it's uh, definitely a tough uh, field up there. You have to be good, you cannot just be at your level, you need to improve every day uh, to be able to just stay there, and if you want to go you know, even more up, you have to do big, big things. Uh, in your game and your physicality and everything so it's a it's a constant constant process is it still fun it is it's more and more fun you know for every day i play as more fun it gets the irrepressible holger runa and talking of young players qualifying for turin his qualification for the neto atp finals means the event will have two 20 or under players competing for the first time since 2000 in lisbon when the 19 year old leighton hewitt and the 20 year old marit safin made their debuts It'll be interesting to see how both Runa and Carlos Alcaraz do in what will be their first time playing in the main draw proper. Alcaraz qualified last year but was injured, so couldn't play. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Roman Safiulin has had his best year so far on tour and this week he reached the round of 16 in Paris. Working alongside his main coach, his compatriot Alex Kuznetsov, and his assistant coach, the Norwegian Adrian Nostanas, the 26-year-old from Podolsk, just south of Moscow, is into the world's top 40, having done well on all surfaces this year, including a run to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. So, when I met up with him, I asked what's made the difference. I think the main difference is the last year I cracked into the top 100, and uh, for this year... We made different uh, preparations, so during the season we changed uh, maybe two or three times the preparation for the tournaments and it worked very well. Like uh, training schedule, training uh, hours, uh, fitness, tennis, uh, physio, like everything, we were mixing it up uh, regarding the time and uh, quality, everything. So we were changing, adapting, see what's working, what doesn't work and uh, slowly we're finding the solution which worked the best. So it's a question of working out what 
works best rather than just keeping it varied to keep your mind active? Yes, yes. Uh, it's better like quality work than uh, quantity and uh, for, for me it works. What has Alex Kuznetsov given you since you've been working with him? Uh, he gave a lot of advice like, because he used to be also top 50 guy and uh, he knows like many things like how to play, how to act on court, off court, uh, also like some coaching advices. I mean, I, I can't say it uh, here, but uh, yeah, like regarding my game, he's also hel- helping a lot. Uh, and the second coach is also, <laughs> he's like more kind of positive guy and gives, you know, this uh, energies when we travel on tournaments. So it's like very completely different guys, but it's I always feel better to travel with them. This year you won the Koblenz Challenger, you did well in Madrid and Rome, you got to the quarterfinals at Wimbledon, you were runner-up in Chengdu. Was there any one of those that made you think, right, I'm really on the right road now? Mm, I think obvious was the after Wimbledon uh, quarterfinal. Yeah, like uh, it shows like that we're working the right way and uh, by the ranking, by the game, it's improving. And uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, quarterfinal final is uh, really my best best result in a uh, tour and the grand slams as well and it was a uh, nice to play there and my it was my first attempt in a uh, gr- grass court uh, let's say uh, season uh, because uh, once I played just w- once Wilmington then other season I played one tournament on grass and this season I played like three tournaments before the Wilmington on grass and uh, yeah Wilmington was great what was it like walking out on one of the Wimbledon show courts for a quarterfinal? Oh, it was a, uh, it was very nice. Especially we played under the roof, so I never played a grass tournament under the roof, and uh, it's, it's very nice. You played in the juniors with Medvedev, Rublev, and Khachanov. What do you remember about that time? Uh, yeah, like. I played. I would say I played more with uh, with Andre because we are same age and uh, we were competing in same group. Because uh, Andre, um, Karen and uh, Daniel we left a uh, little, little bit earlier to Prague, and uh, we were still competing with uh, Andre. So it was a great time. We had uh, one year. I remember it was some like competition, like uh, kind of team competition. It was in uh, Saint Petersburg in Russia, and uh, there was under 14 and under. Uh, 16 we were all together like Russian team so we had really fun time there plus there was like some other guys as well so it was a really good time but you had wins over all of them didn't you in the juniors yes yes so I, I assumed that I was winning uh, all of them like uh, and same from the opposite side we were beating me as well but we were always like competing competing so does it surprise you that it's taken you a lot longer to get to where you are when they have all been in the top 10? Uh, no, because uh, I had uh, many problems regarding my health-wise. Uh, I had uh, big injuries and uh, yeah, like after big injuries, it's tough to to come back. And uh, especially if it's like something like a wrist, shoulder or something like hip, I don't know. So if you can see like, I mean, Dominic is also had a wrist problems and now he's like also struggling but he he been on the top such high level so I think he's going to be back and I was never there my highest position before injury it was 3 315 325 and uh, yeah and let's say after the injury I have to start all over again and then these guys are working every day while I was not able to work so 
that's uh, let's say everyone has the different different uh, life and uh, yeah I had a harder life and but still I made it and uh, hopefully I will improving and improving and catch up with them in top 10. But having beaten them in juniors does that actually give you a confidence that if everything is right if your health is right your fitness is right you can be at the same level as them? Yes, yes, I think so because uh, we were the same generation. Like uh, let's say, who is now in top ten? Uh, like Andre, Zverev, uh, Daniel, who else there? Hubi, like all of these guys, we were playing together. So yeah, I'm sure I can do it. So I just need to work right, and uh, and the results will come. Roman Safiulin. And that's a really interesting observation. The fact that he has wins over three top 10 players from junior days gives him a long-standing confidence that could well make a difference in how far he can go on the full ATP Tour. The focus in Paris was inevitably on the singles event, but the doubles had its fascination too, with the eight-pair field for the NITO ATP finals also being completed. The eight pairs who will compete for the title at the Pala Alpitour are Ivan Dodik and Austin Krychek, Wesley Kulhoff and Neil Skupski, Rohan Bapana and Matthew Ebden, Marcel Granoyers and Horacio Zabayos, Santiago Gonzalez and Edouard Roger Vasselin, Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury, Maximo Gonzalez and Andres Molteni, and Rinky Hijikata and Jason Kubler. With Hijikata and Kubler qualifying by dint of winning the Australian Open in January, the final qualifying spot was 7th place, not 8th, which came down to a battle between Gonzalez Molteni and the Americans Nathaniel, or Nate, Lamons and Jackson Withrow. When they faced off against each other, the Americans beat the Argentinians in two tight sets, but the Americans had to win their quarterfinal to secure their place in Turin, they lost to Ram Salisbury, which means both pairs go to Turin, but the Americans as the alternate pair. Lamons and Withrow have surged up the rankings this year, moving from relative obscurity to a place among the world's best teams. So I put it to Nate first that their form has been unstoppable since making the Wimbledon quarterfinals. We're just kind of riding a little confidence wave here. I think um, last year at one point we sort of set out with the goal of being sort of consi- as consistent as we can all the way through and you know, we've been on a bit of a tear, and I think we're looking at that as more of, hey, we're consistent, we're playing consistent level, and I think that's sort of kept us on the right path. You make it sound very simple, but there must be a bit more to it. I mean, have you, have you sensed shots you could play that you previously just didn't trust? You know, I wouldn't say it's shots that, that we can play. I mean, definitely in different situations, playing different shots than I would have before. Um, but I think... It comes from playing with a partner for a long time, kind of knowing what what a partner can do and what they want to do in different moments. And I think we've really built on that. And and uh, you know we're having having fun a lot, of going to a lot of new tournaments. That that's a big thing for us. Uh, it's our first time you know here here in Paris playing Bercy at least. So you know we're um, you know riding that wave of kind of everything being new as well as the level being being up there. Jackson, what do you put the uh, run of success down to? Um, I think Nate kind of hit it on the head. Um, I think more or less it comes down to also us just believing that this is our level. Um, You know, I think part of last year it was kind of figuring out what works for us and and what makes us good. And we had moments of brilliance. You know, we had a wild card in U.S. Open a couple years ago when we beat Mate Mate Pavic and Nikola Mektik um, and then turned around and kind of maybe had a stumble in the second round. Um, You know, so we had always had, you know, these little glimpses of good results and we'd maybe follow it up with something that 
wouldn't be what we would consider our best. Um, and now it's like what Nate said, we've just put consistent results together. And I think we're just believing that this is a sustained level. You know, we're getting better, we're getting stronger, hopefully staying healthy. And, um, you know, it's it's a long season. Him and I have been playing a lot this year. Um, and just, like you said, trying to ride the wave of confidence. And it's it's been working. They say in show business that you can spend 20 years becoming an overnight star. I mean, you guys are both 30. Uh, has this taken sort of many years behind the scenes and suddenly you get the breakthrough? Yeah, I mean, I think doubles is one of those sports that you see the, the age kind of being in your mid-30s to, to late-30s being the prime. Um, you know, a lot of these guys who were legends of the game are still controlling it. And, um, you know, we're hopefully starting to break through a little bit and be a little bit of a presence in there for the long term. And, um, you know, I think... For us, the goal has always been just to slightly improve um, every little bit every year, and I think we've been doing that. And, uh, you know, it's it's like Nate said, it's nice to have a guy to do it with week in and week out and someone that you can just trust. So, Nate, how did you guys first meet, and how did you get to play together? So, I mean, funny enough, we both went to school in, in Texas, uh, but we never played each other, um, didn't know each other, even though our schools played. But, uh, I mean, shortly after school, I think, is where, where we met. We, we would have played against each other in tournaments, seen each other at a bunch. Um, but it was, I mean, it wasn't until several years down the road, probably four or five years out of school, where, where we sort of got any, any level of closeness and, um, you know, started entertaining, playing together. We had a, a random week, I think, a, a couple years before we really kind of settled in. Um, didn't go well. <laughs> didn't go well, so we didn't revisit it again for a while. But, uh yeah, I mean, I think life on the road, especially at the lower levels, uh, below tour level, kind of the chalies and futures, you you, you, you kind of grind together, um, forges friendships that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And I think we met in that in that sort of strata, and, and I think we're, we're, we're carrying that sort of character that we, we built there and, uh, yeah, bringing it with us. So what makes you work well together, Jackson? Yeah, I think both of us being super aggressive, you know, I think we model it around our serve and, and just trying to control the game as much as possible. Um, you know, I think when teams play us, I think it's kind of on our rackets on on the serving side. Um, you know, if we are serving pretty well, I think we're a tough team to beat. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it's just us taking chances, taking cuts, and still trying to stay be aggressive and, and hit the guys in the mouth a little bit. Um, you know, and I think that's just take time to develop as well. I think knowing the guy his tendencies what he wants to do in certain moments like Nate touched on is a massive important factor to that and I think we just keep building each week and like I said getting better on the little areas that we need improvement on and I think it's just making us more dangerous is that low level telepathy Uh, some somewhat you know I think we're both pretty low-key guys me probably a little bit more of the stress freak um, of the two but uh yeah I think you know we we gel well together I think we both have similar interests similar hobbies and um, you know, traveling on the road is pretty easy with a guy where he's just super low-key and, um, you know, a guy you can just pretty much share your life with. And, you know, that's what we, we pretty much do for 35 weeks a year. So similar interests, similar hobbies. Now, I was looking at the ATP profile site on Unate. It says that your favorite subject was heat transfer <laughs> and your favorite city on tour was Skaveningen in the Netherlands. Is, were you having some fun with the, uh, the ATP website people? You know, I'll be honest, I didn't remember the city part of it, um, but that's actually the city I won my first challenger. Um, that's probably not the answer I would still have for that uh, question, but um, it's amazing that I put that on there. Um, as far as the subject goes, that is true. Um, I, I studied engineering in school, and uh, heat transfer did happen to be the, the subject that stuck with me. I'd, 
for the longest time I actually still uh, traveled with a textbook of it just to sort of read randomly uh, is this the second law of thermodynamics someone like the heat it, can't transfer from a cooler to a hotter something like that it does it does touch on that for sure it gets all the laws in there um, and there's some you know there's some finite element analysis where you you know you kind of study heat flow and stuff and I, it was really fascinating so so, Jackson, where do you go when he's into his heat transfer? I mean, he's being pretty modest. I mean, I honestly would say Nate is probably one of the smarter guys um, on tour. And between the two of us, I mean, I think our degrees are, are pretty well balanced. But, um, yeah, you know, I think when he's – I always try to go to him. We have some pretty good debates. Uh, I have more of your typical American American arrogance when it comes to uh, – things you feel like you know but don't really um you know and try to bs your way through it so he he keeps me in line checks me and makes sure that i'm, I'm putting the right information out and I, I get to learn a lot from him i think we're all guilty of thinking we know more than we actually do whatever our nationality but two lovely and smart guys there nate lamons and jackson withrow who'll be the reserve pair in turin this is the atp tennis radio podcast Finally this week, we finish as we started, with one of the game's greats picking the great shots to make a great fantasy tennis player. And seeing as we've been sampling the delights of Paris for the past week, who better to take us out than the Gallic flair of Gael Monfils? Today you're going to be building your perfect tennis player. Okay. Forehand, I will take... Ooh, it's a good one. Forehand, I will take uh, Del Potro. Del Potro forehand was uh, fast, heavy, very accurate. You know, he wasn't missing that much. He could hit it from anywhere from the court, you know, with, uh, with that weapon. So, yeah, uh, 100% I would take his. Backhand, I will take Novak backhand. I feel Novak backhand is almost perfect. Like, uh, you can hit uh, maybe part of the court, the speed. Uh, the control he has with, uh, yeah, definitely uh, no back backhand. Serve, I will take Nick, Nick Kyrgios serve. I feel his serve is uh, so pure, so smooth, um, easy power, accuracy un- unreal. Uh, second serve, first serve, I mean, um, yeah, I take uh, Nick serve. Return with uh, no hesitation, I will take Novak. Uh, his return is uh, just insane. Insane is, I, I cannot say anything else, it's just insane, his return. The stadium court. It's just brilliant. Life. Slice, I will take Roger. Uh, it's very pure slice. Uh, it can't um, slow down, it can speed it up. Uh, the accuracy is uh, it's, uh, a joke, 100% Roger. Well, that's the kind of tennis from Federer that we've seen all week. Net game. Phew, it's a tough one because I have uh, three names straight away in my mind, so I need to pick one, which is tough. Which is tough. The three names, of course, is uh, Rafter, Edberg, and Michael Lodra. I will go for for Pat Rafter. Um, very, very, um, I mean, amazing. You know, at the net, super physical, tough to get through. 
I mean, uh, of course, those three, those two other guys, the same. But uh, I will go for Pat. <laughs> Sneaks in and plays a decisive volley from the service line. That's not easy. Speed. I feel like you're in. You might be in the running for this one. I don't take myself. I will take uh, Carlos Alcaraz. I think uh, his speed is insane. Uh, the power that he developed, the change of direction. I will, uh, I will, I will take Carlos. Mental toughness. Rafa, crazy, you know, uh, crazy. Um, over the years, uh, how, uh, how you know he uh, he shows us like in a tough moment. How strong he is, how rocky he is. Um, also playing uh, with uh, with hurt. So yeah, Rafa. There it is. What a turnaround! Competitiveness. It's a tough question. This honestly, it's a tough question, and uh, I don't have an answer to be honest about it because I feel like uh, all the top athletes they are tough. To say which one is the best, it would be, of course, the one who won, who wins more, and maybe you know you you're not winning as much than them, and you can be also quite tough, you know, in competitiveness. So it's tough. It's tough answer to be honest. Celebration. I think it's subjective. It's um, about you know, of course, some people with like really simple one because uh, you know they're more tradition and traditional people, so they will like a very easy celebration. Some people, younger, maybe will like have more fun. Some will like. Um, it's very subjective, to be honest. That's why it's tough. It's very subjective. He's done it. That's it. I guess, what surface are you playing this guy on? It sounds like a pretty rough player. How are you going to do? Are you going to take him I, to play? He, he, he can play anywhere, this one. He can play anywhere. Gael Monfils, who was modest enough not to pick himself for any of those categories, although in the speed category he'd definitely have been in the running, maybe at 37 not quite so much as he would have been earlier in his career. That's it for this week. Next week, we'll look ahead to the NITO ATP Finals in Turin. And in the meantime, for all the build-up to the season-ending event, head to the ATP website. I'm Chris Bowers. Thanks for listening to the ATP Podcast and enjoy the tennis. <laughs>